Hello, good evening. Um, I'm Kathleen Neal, and the Pratt Library and the Poetry Programming Group welcomes everyone tonight to a special musical and poetry performance by the group Old Songs, whom Kim will tell you more about in a few moments. Um, we're very happy that you joined us tonight, and we hope you'll join us next week on May 1st for a Judges and the Judged poetry reading event. Um, and that will be the editors of Little Patuxent Review will be reading along with the current winners, the recent winners of their poetry contest. The winner as well as the finalists will be reading together. So that should be interesting. And then on June 12th, which is a little further out, we will host a reading for poets from Passager, the journal for um, poets over 50 that's based here in Baltimore. I think they've been here maybe at least 20 years, if not longer. Um, and we had them last year. That was a, that was a really, really nice event. And finally, um, we welcome everyone to come back during our open hours to um, wander our humanities department where we have, uh, I would have to say, maybe thousands of poetry volumes and other literary works um, that are at everyone's disposal, as well as our periodicals department. We have a lot of journals, um, poetry, writing, music, art journals, um, that you can peruse um, in the department, make copies of what you want and everything. Um, and now Kim Lees will introduce old songs. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. Um, my name's Kim. I'm a librarian in the humanities department, and I'm very excited um, to have Old Songs here at the Pratt Library tonight. Um, I first heard Old Songs perform at Artscape several years ago, and um, I had studied Greek in Ann Arbor many years ago, um, but it was very exciting to hear um, just the direct um, and very, um, the, the great expression that their translations and music um, have and how they communicate um, the feelings of the ancients um, in their poetry and translations. Um, we have um, for old should one um, reviewer says uh, let's see I'm sorry um, John Lewis of the Baltimore Magazine in 2004 uh, wrote about old songs always engaging the music underscores the poetry's vivid imagery without ever obscuring its timeless wisdom. Um, old Songs members um, are Mark Chickling, um, who um, is one of the translators. Um, Mark studied um, Greek in college, and he is playing, uh, let's see, sorry, um, Mark does the vocals, banjo, guitar, and mandolin. Um, Chris Mason um, does vocals, guitar, um, wrote some of the music and translations, and um, Chris taught himself uh, Greek. Uh, Liz Downing um, does vocals and banjo, and Mark Payton uh, does ukulele and viola. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Don Payton, I'm sorry. Um, Don Payton does ukulele and viola. Um, please welcome Old Songs members.
Happy Poetry Week, month, year, lifetime. Thank you, Kim, for the introduction.
wish to die Weeping she left me behind With many tears she said to me How we suffer terribly Sappho, I'm leaving you against my will And so I answered her Farewell, go and remember me You know we cared for you And if not, I would remind you Of the loveliness we felt You know we cared for you And if
just a little technical. There we go. Need some duct tape.
Sappho was this large, voluptuous kind of bright woman, but really she was small and dark and pensive. <laughs> you know that Alma painting? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I like that. I like that. Right. Yeah. I've been listening to the hymns of Sappho on Oh. 
so, so most of SAPO is pretty sublime, but there's another aspect of, of which only very small fragments have come down. She, she writes, she has a few about giants. I mean, remember the J.D. Salinger book, Raise High the Roof Bean Carpenters? That was Sappho, because Sappho goes on, because the bridegroom is as big as Aries. He's way taller than a tall man. Uh, this is another one, the doorkeeper. We don't know, have any idea what the poem is about, but the doorkeeper's feet are seven yards long, a yard being this. And so we, we thought about this. What, how do you set to music a song about giants in the American vernacular? Well, you've got to go with Bo Diddley, right? So, <laughs> so that's what we got.
old lady, something like this, searching for Sappho. I mean, there was a very definite sapphic uh, technique that she had. And this poem, uh, Aphrodite, have you ever set that one to music? Yeah, we did, but it's, it's too hard for us to remember all the words. <laughs> 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 but that's the longest one she wrote. Yeah, right? Chris, Chris put music to that. Right, it's, uh, it's, it's a complete poem. There yeah, may be one poem. or two others that are complete of Sappho. Yes, it's in, it's in sapphic, like you say. It's in, it's in a meter that's called sapphic meter, which is 11, 11, 11, and five. 18th and 19th century translators would translate into that meter or would write verse in that meter. Even though you didn't have, you didn't have a Swinburne was very clever. Yeah, Swinburne tried. And Thomas the new Nobel laureate. Who's that? Thomas Transtromer, the Norwegian. Poet who was a Nobel laureate a couple years ago wrote it in the tap for me a lot. I remember Dr. Kinder from the Institute, I mean, but he was my age, never went to Micah. He brought in Hugh Ketter, who was an expert on Pound, but he was also talking about Sappho and how they found a whole bunch of Sappho's poems stuffing mummified crocodiles in a crocodile. They were the second, you know, they were they ones that had a blot on them or something. The papyrus wasn't perfect. So suddenly we went from having like one poem and a couple of fragments to a huge amount of poetry by Sappho. Well, it's not that huge. <laughs> but it's much better than, you know, yeah, one scratch and one It's poem. true. I mean, there are really two sources of this Greek lyric stuff. I mean, um, it, 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 we don't know if they wrote it originally. Did Sappho write stuff down or not. And if it was written down 100 years later, it's because what was written down any relation to what she actually yeah. saw. We don't know. But, um, it, you know, their poetry kind of gave way to dramatic poetry in the fourth, you know, fifth or fourth centuries, particularly in Athens. And, you know, lyric was kind of out of fashion. But then it came back. The Alexandrians brought it back. And they, they edited it. You know, they produced new editions. Um, and they, you know, composed in those styles, and they of course produce voluminous works of commentary, which are mostly blogs, but there's a few of them out there. Mm -hmm. But there, there was a, there were huge volumes of Sappho and all these poets we translate in the Library of Alexandria, which yeah. was burned yeah. in, in a kind of skirmish between the Greeks yeah. and the Romans. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. so, 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 you know, in those days, survival of poetry depended on it being copied every hundred years or so. And that stopped in the Christian era, pretty much. Um, now, Sappho may have survived complete down to the 10th century. There's a Byzantine scholar who, uh, well, there's a, an Italian scholar sort of speculates that this guy in, in uh, Byzance, Constantinople, had a complete edition of Sappho. It's in the 10th century. But now, you know, Western Europe didn't get interested until the early 14th century. Byzantium wasn't really that far from Horizon. No, not at all. Yes, it's not. But and they, of course, they in the Eastern Empire, of course, they read Greek, so that was that was good. But uh, they didn't do that good of a job of transmitting these poems. And so when the Renaissance came, they went out and just you know they they were searching for manuscripts everywhere. And what they found was not a you know a manuscript generally of Sappho, but a, a citation in a work, a really boring work of grammar or. Geography or whatever, which had been translated by, you know, had been recopied by the medieval monks. 
So that's how Sappho's derived. And all the all the Greek lyric poets, you know, the backless corpus, it was just these little random quotations. I mean, it was preserved because the, the grammarian thought, well, this is an interesting use of the date of case. Right? <laughs> but this spelling is a little unusual, so that's a line of Sappho. Uh, and then the, the, the next, so that was about, you know, by the 16th century, that was pretty much stabilized. That was what we had. And people edited it and commented on it and tried to fill in the, the gaps. Uh, but then the next thing was in the 1890s, when this garbage dump in Oxaricus, Egypt, was found, and that included mummy cases and just things that had been thrown out. Mm -hmm. Volume, you know, massive volumes of papyrus that are still being translated at Oxford. Not, not translated, but edited. They're trying to read this stuff with infrared. So that was kind of like a second renaissance in terms of uh, this stuff. Because suddenly, the volume that we had pretty much doubled. And uh, it's still increasing. You know, we may find more. So most of what they find is there's ancient Sumerian ancient Sumerian music too that's still there. Well, you can play. Is any more going to come out of Calpurnius Piso's library? The one that was burned to a crisp and the yeah. it was it was in Pompeii and it was destroyed in the eruption, but the burned up. Uh, scrolls lasted better than they would have if they weren't burned up, but it's, you know, it's really difficult to decipher them, but there's the records. <laughs> there may be stuff out there, but there may be another cave in the desert. But um, it's, if you think about it, it's really a shame that people let this, let this stuff from I'm interested in sort of your like creative process. What, what makes a line of poetry like jump out at you? What do you decide how, how to set to music? Well, it's pretty random. I mean, we, we go through these things really intentive. Let's, okay, let's make songs out of this. So either either I get a tune in my head. I'm just doing it myself. Because Chris, Chris and I work sort of independently. Then we get together and kind of smooth off the rough edges. But basically, because I'm in D.C. and he's involved in so we get together, we want to play. We don't look up stuff in the dictionary. Sure. Um, sometimes I'll have a tune and I'll try to, I've got this fragment, I think this would go with this tune, let me let me see how I can translate it so I can possibly fit it into this. And sometimes the other way around, sometimes I'll you know, do a translation and then, then write music for it. But it's, uh, we've been doing it for 10 years, so there isn't, there's not a consistent check practice. And my, you know, my theory of translation is that whatever principles you have going into a job, you will abandon them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so I, may I ask how you uh, decided to go down this musical field in the first place? Um, Mark and I and Liz have known each other for years and years and years. I went to a, um, I had been studying, trying to learn a little bit of Greek on the side. And I went to Mark's 50th, well, I went to um, David's wedding. Where's your hand, David? You came to And then Mark told me that he had studied um, Greek. And, um, and then, at his, then a couple months later, he had a 50th, uh, uh, it's okay if I say you're here, 50th birthday. And, um, and he was reading something from Latin, and then we talked about it, and, and we decided.
soon after that, we got So we know that he was a, we know a little bit about him. He worked for these two tyrants, both of whom were murdered. Uh, and uh, he, was, he was, like Sappho, very famous, you know, probably wealthy. Um, but he talked about love, but a little rougher kind of love. He talked about love, yeah. So, so what, you know, one of the things that really interests me about this poetry is... Um, the way they use the gods, you know, they're always talking about gods. Not, it doesn't seem to be in a religious ritual type of way. But the gods are just being invoked all over the place. And another poet who's in the in the book, get the book in the back. Um, Hipponax, he he invokes Hermes. He says, Hermes, make that door be quiet so I can break into this house. Uh, <laughs> and Acreon, as Liz says, it's mostly about love. Eros, the god, who's a a guy who kind of wants to hit you over the head. But I've, you know, it's, it's really curious. What, what is their view of the supernatural? How do, they, how do they really think of these gods? And that brings me to uh, Mr. Poe, you know, because I'm so happy to be in the Poe room, I've got to give you a little bit of Poe here. You know, my favorite Poe story is the gold bug. I'm sure you all know that story. It's, a, it's basically a treasure hunt. They have a map, and if gives them all these clues to follow. And one of them is you, you have to climb out on a limb of a certain tree, and at a certain point, you drop an object, and where it lands, you dig. And so what they drop is a gold scarab. That's the gold bug. But there's no reason for that. It could just as well have been a rock or a pencil or anything. You know, it's just a, just a plumb weight. And so what, what's the point of that? Well, luckily, there's a review that appeared in the Aristidian of October 1845 that explains it. It says the bug is used only in the way of mystification, having no real connection to the subject. Its purpose is to seduce the reader into the idea of supernatural machinery. Now, who wrote the review? Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> so, I believe it. But anyway, the idea of supernatural machinery is, is, is something that really appeals to me, not in a New Age way, but I think... Um, it's a good band name. That's I think all poets probably do that in one way or another. And, and the Greek poets evoke the gods. Yeah. I always considered um, Chris Toll's Volkswagen to be a green scarab. <laughs> okay, well, in Acreon, uh, the first two songs are about how God wants to, uh, the God of love wants to assault you. In a violent way. <laughs> Not a violent way. Box of love. Box of love, eh? Yeah. Bring me one, boy, bring me 
Elvis song. So this, this one's called, uh, Elvis's version is called You're Wearing That Loved On Look, and ours is Artemis. Yeah, who went from being very uh, rotten kind of fellow to being exalted. And I never knew why exactly. You explained to me before a little bit, but I always forget. What, why? He got rich. And he got rich and everybody <laughs> loved him after that. <laughs>
The next one is an absolutely literal translation of three words in Greek. And uh, in English, it's a lot more words. Do the hip shake. What key is it? E. Okay. One, two, three, four. Makes me cry. 
can stand up and waltz with the person next to
is uh, the whole, another one line thing. I went back down to Pythamanders to get away from love. <laughs> yeah.